if you're clapping for Kills or me. So, but I think we should clap for the band and for Kills, eh? It was just such wonderful worship and um, love praising God and having such a God focus to all of those songs. Amen. This feels particularly rickety this morning. Thanks, Rob. Great. If you've got your Bible, if you could turn to the book of Revelation. I'm joking. The book of Ephesians. <laughs> got some of you there. But uh, we, I hope you've been, been enjoying our uh, in-depth series on Ephesians. And uh, I'll tell you this. Today, we're only looking at two verses. And I really, I've even left my watch at home just in case I don't stick to it. Um, it's so hard to leave things out that you'd love to preach about. The Bible is so rich. The more you, the more you chew on it, the more you'll find. And, uh, and so I'm so glad we've been doing this series and taking our time through it. And today we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be just looking at verses 1 and 2. I just want to add my welcome to uh, the one that you've already had, especially if you've been visiting us uh, with Alpha for the past two weeks. We love having you in the room. Uh, we're enjoying Monday nights, but welcome to church as well. We're so glad you're here. We're in a section of Scripture. We've been in it already for a few weeks, and there's some more to come, which is really all about how we ought to live as Christ followers. Won't you just turn me down a little bit, then I can get excited. How ought we to live? What, what should our lives look like as Christ followers? You see, having believed in Jesus, we ought, other people ought, and God Himself ought to see some changes in the ways that we live, in the ways that we speak, in the ways that we think, in the ways that we act, and even in the ways that we react towards others. Would you agree with me? So having believed, there should be some change in our lives. Now, we know in this church, just say we know. We know that you cannot attain salvation. You can't earn your salvation by living a good life. Do you know that? Convince me. You know in this church, right, that you cannot make right with God by just living a good life. You can't. No one is good enough to please God's righteous standards. No one. I'm sorry if you thought you were. No one. That's what Romans says. And we know in this church that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And what that means then is that our salvation is a gift from God to us. We sang about it earlier on. It's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift that we receive by faith. And so the question should arise in your heart, if we are so thoroughly saved freely by grace, if we save not by our good works and our good effort, but we save by God's grace, then does it really matter how we live? You know, a great theologian, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said that if you don't ask that question, then you haven't understood grace. If you don't ask the question, does it really matter how I live, then you haven't really understood the grace of God that we were singing about, which is amazing grace earlier. 
So the question is, does it matter how we live? I, I, I could take my whole sermon just on this, but I want to give you quick four, four quick reasons why it really matters how the Christian lives. Firstly, relational argument. A relational argument works like this. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we love Jesus back by living different lives. We let our lives change because of the great love that He's shown us already. The second argument would be a missional argument. We do change because other people are looking at us and they're looking for the genuineness of our faith. Don't, don't people around you look at that? So you say you believe in Jesus, have I seen your life change? That's an unbeliever looking at a believer. It's a missional argument. We are literally Jesus' ambassadors on the earth. Third, this is maybe a big word this morning for this time of the morning, but an eschatological argument. What is this? Well, we know, just say eschatological, <laughs> all that means is it's the understanding of the end times. What is going to happen at the end of the world and what's going to happen after you die? If you read your Bible, you know that there is a connection between how you're living today and eternity. The connection isn't that you can be saved by your good works, but that your good works really matter for eternity forever and evermore. And lastly, the fourth argument is an argument from identity, who you actually are. Why does it matter how you live? After you've put your faith in Jesus, it matters because of who you've become when you put your faith in Jesus. And in fact, that is the argument in our passage today. So let's read our passage for today, which says this in the ESV translation. Therefore, be imitators of God. This is for those who are already believers. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Do you see identity there? And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Point number one this morning, why should you live a godly life? Well, I've already given you four arguments, but let's double click on the last one, the identity argument. The first reason you should live a godly life is, is it is who you are. You are God's child now if you've believed in Jesus. And what we know from life and what we know, especially if you've got kids, if you've ever seen someone who's got kids, is that children imitate their parents. What are the words in our passage? Imitate God. Children imitate their parents, even if it's a girl trying to shave like her dad, okay? Now, if you are a parent, you know that this doesn't always go so well for us. I think we've told this story once before, at least in a parenting setting in, in this church, but Nadine and I still remember where we were. We were driving past the cement factory in our Opal station wagon, and Hope was on the back seat. Sam must have been there too, and Luke was probably in a car seat, and Lu uh, Hope was parenting her doll. And all of a sudden, we heard her telling her doll, shut up! And both Nadine and I looked around and said, pardon? And then we heard ourselves. And we had a quiet parenting conversation. Let's not say shut up, Rob, anymore. <laughs> Rob was telling us to shut up yesterday, last week. Children, as Rob said last week, don't worry that they don't listen to what you say. Worry that they watch what you do. I, I remember our kids, obviously, I, I'm, 
a pastor, and, and so what do pastor's kids play? You know, all kids' games, it's always double. You know, you're playing shop, shop, or school, school, while our kids play church, church. And, uh, and we always laugh at our table when we remember Hope telling Sam, preach me, Sam, preach me. And then Luke had to go out with the kids because he was a pain. So he had to go out with the kids to children's church. He just had to get removed from the story. Friends, children are always watching. They're always learning. They're always mimicking what we do and what they say. We, children learn to value what their parents value by what their parents do. You know, we value what we do, and we do what we value, and our children will end up doing what we do. Now, today's message isn't on pairing, parenting, but this reality is rather sobering, isn't it? As parents, we need to keep asking, what are we modeling to our children? We need to ask, what seeds are we planting in the soil of our children's lives that will bear fruit in their lives. And I just want to say a massive thumbs up to you for just being at church this morning, because so easy it would have been to just stay in bed this morning and say, it's been a very busy week, but you didn't. You came to church, and you're modeling something for your children. And I want to say you're modeling for your children all the time. Nadine and I had a particularly proud moment last year. There aren't many, but we had one last year, and it was our 23rd wedding anniversary, and Something that touched our hearts as we walked into our room after church that morning, and this is what was filling our room. 23 balloons, all with notes on them, from our kids telling us things that they were grateful to God for in our life. Things that they wanted to repeat. Now make no mistake, there are many things that Nadine and I do not want our kids to repeat from our lives, which we are... we, we do want them to imitate us, but there are things in our lives that we don't want to be imitated. So secondly, what do you and I, as God's beloved children, what should we do? Well, the Bible verse that we're looking at today says we're to imitate God. We're to mimic God, because that is what children do. And a beloved child of God, which is what you are right now, should imitate their father. Do you really believe that you're a beloved child? Because that's what our passage in Scripture says today. Beloved children, dearly loved children. That is what you are according to Scripture. And dearly loved children are the ones who actually imitate their parents. Now, I know that there are countless times that we let God down, we let ourselves down, we let others down. But I want to say to you, having just heard imitate God, I want to bust the myth that that's an unattainable command. So it says there, be imitators of God as beloved children. You could read that and you could say, yeah, right, that is impossible. I want to bust that myth today. You see, what's important to remember is that Scripture is not asking you to be something that you're not. Scripture is simply calling you to live out what you are because you've put your faith in Jesus. If you underestimate the massive change that happened in your life when you put your faith in Jesus, then a command like this will feel like the impossible command. But if you value your new birth and the miracle of new birth, your new identity as God's beloved child, then a verse like this is like a friendly reminder for you to be who you are and to act out who you are. 
Thirdly, how do we imitate God? This passage tells us, it tells us that as beloved children, we're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We are, according to this passage, how do we imitate God? We're to walk in love. We're to walk in love. Your NIV might say live in love. The words in the, in the Greek for walking and living are interchangeable. I love that. You're to walk in love. You're to live in love just as He is. 1 John 4, 8. What a great passage of Scripture if you want to meditate on a passage of Scripture. 1 John chapter 4, uh, around verse 8. Verse 8 says, God is love. Not God is loving. God is is love itself. That's what God is. And so, as children, we're to walk in love. We're to be loving just as God is loving. As we seek to imitate God, we need to keep reminding ourselves of how Jesus lived and how Jesus loved us. And that is exactly what we see in this passage. And so, if you ask the question, how are we to imitate God? The the, the different translations all speak about a life of love, not, not being loving every now and then, but living a life of love, walking in love. The NLT says, live a life filled with love. The ESV, N, uh, NKJV, and NSAB all say, walk in love, and the NIV says, live a life of love. That's what this passage is saying. So how do we walk in love? How do we live out a life that is characterized by love? Well, let's think again about who God is. God is utterly consistent in His nature. As I said from 1 John 4 verse 8, God in fact is love. God is always full of love. And so this passage isn't just exhorting us, hey, as you go out today, would you just be a little bit more loving? Or would you be a little bit more loving more often? Or would you add some loving to all the other things that you're doing? That's not, I know it's Valentine's kind of time. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about adding a little bit more of love to our lives. What this passage is talking about is having a consistency in our lives that imitates the consistency in Jesus and in God. Remember 1 John 4, 8, God is love. That is consistent throughout His being. And the, the English translations are all urging us to not just add an action to our life, but to have a whole life pattern, walk in love. That's what this passage is urging us to do. Now, this is a challenging statement and command. Just this week, I was challenged by this command. Just this week, I was challenged by Rob's message last Sunday. Anyone else? I wasn't just challenged on Sunday, I was challenged on Tuesday, because I failed to apply the very message that I heard on Sunday, on Tuesday. I failed in how I was speaking to others. I was in a context where, we, where things were getting a little bit irritating, and I failed to speak well of someone who actually wasn't in the room, which was exactly what Robert preached about. And in that moment, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I was reminded of something that I read years ago. It is better to be Christ-like than to be right. Have you ever been in that situation where you know you're right, but while you're being right, you're being wrong? Ever happened to you? 
I wasn't, thank you, one other honest person. I was in a moment where I knew I was right. What I was saying was right, but I was wrong because I wasn't being like Christ. And so the next morning I decided with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I needed to make some phone calls after having first repented before God. And then I sat and I journaled in my diary and I prayed and asked God to make me more and more like Him from the inside out. I didn't want to just change some behavior. I want to change inside. I don't want to just tack on some behavior change. I must remember not to do that. That's just changing the outside, but ignoring what's in your heart. Friends, I want to, and I believe God wants to, melt my heart again and again so that it is softer, it is more God-shaped, it is more loving, more consistently. And I think that's what this passage is talking about. I want to walk more in love because my heart has been melted by the love of Jesus so that the consistent pattern of my life, walk in love, not be loving more often, walk in love because I'm God's child and because that is what my father is like and that is what my savior is like. So the question is, how can we change to walk in love more consistently and How can we know, if I'm supposed to imitate what God's love is like, how can I know what God's love is like so that I can imitate it? So the second point under this heading is meditate on Jesus' love for you demonstrated on the cross. How do you imitate God's love? Firstly, you need to know that God's talking about, Scripture's talking about walking in love. It's it's your whole life. And secondly, how do you Know what God's love is so that you can imitate it. You meditate on Jesus' love for you. It's, I loved our worship this morning. Our worship was all about God. It was what He's done on the cross. We don't want to sing about ourselves. We want to sing about Him. We want to celebrate Him. We want to delight ourselves in God because as we delight ourselves in God, it changes us from the inside out. And so our passage in Scripture says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love. And then it says, as Christ loved us. So the example of God's love is the cross of Jesus Christ and gave himself up for us. Friends, it is impossible to think too much about the cross of Jesus Christ. It is impossible to sing too many songs about what Jesus did in giving himself for us. What Jesus did on the cross for us is like a perfect flawless diamond, that the more you investigate it, the more you look at it, the more colors and myriad of shapes and splendor you'll see. Friends, the more we investigate, the more we remember, the more we delight in God's act of love to us on the cross in giving us Jesus, the more we meditate on that act, the more we will know what God's love is the more we will feel God's love and experience God's love and the more we'll be transformed from the inside out. When we investigate God's love for us on the cross, when we meditate on the cross, when we think about it, when we chew on it, when we sink sink our minds into the depths of what Jesus did on the cross for us, the tank in our hearts, the love tank in our heart for other people gets filled up Because we've been loved, we are able to love other people with the love that we've received and we keep receiving. 
And so friends, this is a good reason for you to wake up every morning and to remember what Jesus did on the cross for you and to pray and to worship and to thank Him and to allow Him to fill you up because you will be more loving when you're more aware of how you've been loved. I want to urge you that this passage connects worship and thank you, Jesus, what you did on the cross with imitating God and a transformed life. Lastly, under this heading, and so what is God's love like? When you look at the diamond of the cross and you look at it and look at it and look at it, what can we see about the love of God as we meditate on the cross? Just a few things on reflection for this morning. Firstly, God's love is action and not just words. God didn't say from heaven, I really love you and, and one day I'll maybe help you. No, he left heaven and he entered our humanity. He sent Jesus and Jesus actually died on the cross for us. God's love is not just words. It's not just a little emoji. God's love is action. And real love is a verb, isn't it? It's actually doing something. Secondly, from looking at the cross, we know that God's love is self sacrificial. God's love is, is focused on not himself, but on us. Jesus himself said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. And the reason why he said that was to honor the Father, to love the Father, and then to love us. God's love is other-centered. That is exactly what Jesus was doing. He was, he was dying for us. He did this for us. We see that in his prayer to the Father in John 17, that he loved us. He was thoughtful of us. He was mindful of us. Hebrews tells us in, 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 uh, that Jesus endured the cross because of the thought of us in his heart. God's love is other-centered, and God's love takes the initiative. How often are we sitting, folding our arms, thinking, well, if they'll phone I'll speak nicely to them. I, I know not you, just probably the person next to you, huh? Like, if they do this, then, then I'll, 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 maybe I'll respond. But that's not the love of the cross. The love of the cross, if God was going to wait for you to repent, He would have waited forever. The amazing thing is that it says in Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative. Love takes the initiative. I believe there are people sitting here this morning, and as you go out and as you choose to walk in love, it's going to mean you're going to take some initiative. You're going to reach out to someone that could you could wait forever to them reach out to you, but you're going to reach out to them because that's what the love of the cross is. It takes initiative. And lastly, and we're going to double-click on this one, God's love on the cross was directed at those who didn't deserve it. I want us to dig deeper into that one as we come to a close this morning. Friends, God loved me, God loved you while we were still sinners. We were unlovely, we were unworthy people. In fact, God loved his enemies. That's what we learn from the cross. He didn't love those who deserved his love, he loved those who were not deserving of his love. And so it's not surprising that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus himself said this before the cross. He told us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, 
so that you may be sons of my Father who is in heaven. Can you see Jesus is already hinting, I want you to imitate the love that I'm going to have. Love your enemies. Love those who are not treating you well. Jesus said that before the cross. Friends, this morning, as God's children, we're to walk in love towards all people. In fact, you could almost add in there, especially to people that you find hard to love. You to walk in love, you to be consistent in your love, especially towards those you find difficult to love. You to walk in love towards people who seem in your eyes to be unworthy or undeserving of your love. You to walk in love towards others who are not loving towards you or who are not lovable according to your standards. How many marriages will this not heal? If your love is only an exchange, if you love me, I'll love you back. It's not Christian love. That's a contract. Jesus' love loved you when you didn't deserve it. His love changed you. How many married people need to love in a way that is godly so you transform the other person with the love of God? It is easy to love Nadine. Look at her. She's lovely. She loves me. Easy. But in one sense, there is nothing particularly praiseworthy of me loving Nadine. Because that's easy. It is quite another thing to love someone who irritates you or to love someone who has harmed you in some way. When we had just moved here, I sold my business, my share in a business to buy a house. Kind of God had provided for us that we could move into a house and, 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 and I sold my shares in a business to this guy who, I won't name his name right now, uh, and, and then he he. He didn't pay. And we'd already bought the house because we'd signed the deal. So we told Absa, we just need a little bond. And, and then there's this money coming and, and that'll basically do it. And for nine months, he didn't pay. And Absa kept phoning me. It was difficult to love him. I'll tell you his name, William. <laughs> there, I said it. It was hard to love him. When I was in business, there was this lady called Lisa. You don't know her. I was in Cape Town. She was in our business, and she stole 120,000 rand from my business. And she was still coming every day and saying, hi, everyone, and sitting down at her thing. Whoa! Just look at the passage again. Because my Bible doesn't read, walk in love towards those who are loving towards you. What does your Bible say? What's your version? It says, walk in love. As Christ walked in love. And how did He walk in love? He walked in love towards those who were His enemies. 
those who were giving him the middle finger. Friends, there's no condition in the Bible. I'm severely challenged by this passage. Are you not challenged? Then you're not awake if you're not challenged. This is a challenging passage, but we need to remember our great Savior as we did in worship. We need to remember who we are. Hey, So let me give you three things that will help you as you seek to obey this passage of Scripture. Firstly, we need to remind ourselves, this is actually who I am. I am the child of God. There, as beloved children. It's my identity. It is actually who I am. And my Father is full of love. And so actually, when I'm not loving, I'm acting out of character. But I, when I'm loving, I'm actually being who I really am. Third, secondly, we need to meditate on the cross of Jesus Christ again and again and again and again. We need to speak to our worship leaders and say, if we don't sing songs about the cross and about Jesus and thanking Him for the cross, then I'm not coming to church. I'm joking. That's what we need to sing about. That's what we need to meditate on. That's what you need to wake up in the morning. You don't want to sing songs about me and my little problems. No, you want to put your eyes on Jesus and His amazing love for you. Meditate on the cross. Be filled up again. When you, when you thank God for the cross, you feel the love of God. And your heart is melted again. And it's shaped by the incredible love of your incredible Savior. And thirdly, how can we walk in love? Ask the Holy Spirit to make you more and more like Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to melt your heart and to fill your heart with so much of God's love that it will enable you to love like God does. Why? So that we can walk in love like Jesus did and we can be like our Father. Friends, we need one another to help us in this, don't we? We need one another to lovingly challenge us, to say, brother, sister, was that really in love? And make sure you say it in love. Get together. We need to repent more regularly. We need to say, Lord, I got that wrong. We need to ask God to change our hearts. I want to urge you to do that. Let's bring it to a close. I don't even know what the time is. Our verse ends saying this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus' love for you and me, when He went through with the cross, His love for you and me felt like love to the Father because the Father had asked Jesus to do this for us. And so when Jesus died for you and me, He wasn't just loving you, He was actually loving the Father. When you walk in love as a dearly loved child imitating Jesus' love, not only will people feel loved, but your Father will be loved because you're obeying Scripture. That's I want to urge you to walk in love as God's children. Let's imitate God. Let's walk in love. Let's be loving as He has been loving towards us. Let's just stand. I want to close with a, with a prayer. I want to pray for you.
I encourage you to close your eyes. Stop thinking about the coffee right now. I know that's what you're thinking about. Let's just close our eyes. Let's just take some time. Verses like this are easy to read, difficult to do. Just quieten your heart. Maybe you want to lift up your hands or open up your hands before God. What's God said to you this morning? I shared about how on Tuesday night I... I failed to love someone who wasn't in the room, and so I and others started to talk about someone who wasn't actually in the room, and I should have talked to him, to him. I wasn't loving him in that moment. Is there anything in your life that the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on right now where you know, actually, I just got it wrong in that moment? Friends, don't be so shocked that you'd get it wrong. Rather, just repent. And repentance is saying, God, that time, that thing that happened, I, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And deciding to change. Why don't you just do that right now? I'm going to give you a moment. We're going to be quiet. If there's anything where you know you haven't walked in love in that moment, then just repent. Repentance is like taking out the trash. God doesn't want to leave you empty. He wants to fill you again with his love. So just ask God right now. Just remember the cross. Remember what Jesus did on the cross for you. And just thank him. Thank him for the cross. Thank him for your shame being washed away. Thank him for the gift of forgiveness. Thank him that he took the initiative while you were unloving. He loved you. Just thank him for the cross. And Holy Spirit, as we focus on Jesus right now. I pray that you'd pour the love of God into our hearts right now. You would pour your love into our hearts. Lord, that we would be filled up with the measure of the love of God, that we would have our love tanks so filled and overflowing that, Lord, we would find it easier to be what we are, your beloved children. And, Lord, we would wash this world with your love. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask and I pray for all my brothers and sisters that you would help us to be more like you, that you would help us to be who we really are and to love in a way like you have loved us on the cross. Not just to love those who love us, but to love those who don't love us. Lord, I pray that we would change the world with this love. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God's word, so rich and powerful in our lives, if we will do it. Amen. God bless you, and I encourage you to go and have some coffee with someone. If you need to speak to someone, maybe they're even in the room, then I urge you to do that. Why don't you love uh, those people who've served your children by really making a, 
uh, a big thing of thanking them this morning. God bless you, and thank you for coming. We'll see you soon.